Well, this evening, please turn back with me to Psalm 11 that we read from just a few moments ago. Psalm 11. And I want to uh, draw your attention especially, especially to uh, that third verse that we, that we read there. It says, David writes, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And our title this evening, as you'll see on your sheets, is taken from that verse there. What can the righteous do? I don't think there is anyone in all of human history, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew as much about trials and afflictions as King David did. And as we come to this psalm this evening, Psalm 11, we find David in the midst of a very trying temptation. It would appear from verse 1 that there was a group of people who were encouraging David to flee for his life. You notice that in verse 1 there, flee as a bird, these people were saying. Flee as a bird to your mountain. They were encouraging him to run away. And we don't know the circumstances about this psalm. We don't know the background to this psalm. It would appear that most likely it fits in that part of David's life when he was in King Saul's court. You remember how he used to play for King Saul on the harp. And there was those occasions, at least two, that are recorded in Scripture. 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19, where Saul took up a javelin and tried to pin David to the wall in his anger and his jealousy. You remember that... Saul had become jealous of David because the people were singing, weren't they, that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And because of that, Saul sought to kill David. And it would appear in verse 1 here that it's, it's at that time that David is being advised to flee for his life, to run away, leave his current position and escape the danger that he was in. And as I said, it's unclear where this attack was coming from. Was this coming from external sources? Was this his enemies who were mocking him and they were saying to him, well, look, fly away like a timid and and easily scared birds, as if he had no other refuge to go to. Look, flee to the mountains. You've got nowhere else to go. Or perhaps another external source, perhaps this was the unwise counsel of friends. Friends were saying to, to David, look, you know, You need to get away. And they were giving him unhelpful advice. Of course, it could be something internal. We don't know whether this is David's inner turmoil within his heart, whether these are thoughts that are coming in, a voice inside his head. In a sense, it doesn't really matter where this this voice was coming from, whether it was internal or external. He was in danger. Verse 2 tells us that. Below, we read, the wicked bends their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. He was in danger. His enemies had their their bows bent, primed, ready to shoot at King David's. They were ready to fire at God's servant. And David summarizes his position here in verse 3. And he says, so, he says these words here, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The climate of his day, as he looked out across his world, all he could see was the foundations of life crumbling in front of him. 
the foundations were being destroyed. And while we look at the life of David and as we see his trials and his temptations here and the difficulties that he's faced, we also have to note, don't we, that David's experiences are not unique to him. Christ warns us, doesn't he, in in the Gospels, that in this world ye shall have tribulation. God's people will have tribulation in this world. And there'll be times in a believer's life when everything seems to fall apart. But the question is, how should the believer respond? What can the righteous do, David asked? What can we do when the props of life are kicked out from under us? What is our reaction when we see the foundations of society and of life crumbling around us? As we look around us even today in this current situation, in the pandemic and everything that's happening, we may ask this very question, what can the righteous do? Well, David here in Psalm 11 provides us with the answer. And I want us to look at two things this evening that David does, two things in this psalm that we can draw out, that as Christians, as believers, this this should be our response to when we see everything crumbling Around us. And so look with me then, firstly, as we look at this psalm together and we consider this, this question what can the righteous do? Notice, firstly, with me, David's steadfastness. David's steadfastness. We've noticed this verse 3, David setting the scene before us, and as he does so, he uses a metaphor, doesn't he? He uses this metaphor about foundations being destroyed. Now, the word that's Translated there as foundations, you could also translate it as pillars. And the pillars and the foundations, they're what support the building, aren't they? They're what hold the building up. Without pillars, without foundations, everything else is destroyed and everything else falls to the ground. Foundations are absolutely vital if an edifice is going to remain standing. And we could say, couldn't we, that if the foundations are not right then nothing is right. And Christ, of course, told a parable about this, didn't he? He told a parable about two builders. And both of these builders built houses. And those two very similar houses both went through very similar storms. We read there about the the, the rain descending and the floods rising and the wind beating upon those, those houses. And yet one of the houses we read fell And one remained standing. And the only difference was, wasn't it, was that the wise man built his house upon a rock. And the foolish man built his house on the sand. And you see, although both houses were very similar, they had very different outcomes because they had very different foundations. And David employs this word here in this verse 3 here, this word foundations, to, to speak about the whole of society. He's talking about the society that he looks out on and everything that the society is resting upon and is built upon. You think about some of the things that he's, he's thinking here. He looks out and he's thinking about everything that's good in society, things like truth and justice and morality, and equity, and honesty, and and righteousness. These are the things that David's looking out on. He says, look, they've gone. Everything that society, the edifice of society is resting upon, he says, look, it's crumbled. 
These foundation, the foundational aspects have been utterly destroyed. These once monumental pillars of support have gone. And you see, for David, everything was seemingly hopeless. There's moral dissolution. Society is, is collapsing and crumbling around him. The very fabric of society is unraveling. And as we, as we think of this situation here, it reminds me of, an, of another occasion in the, in the life of Israel. Just turn with me to Isaiah. And we find something very similar in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah 59. And again, we find a, a wonderful uh, picture language here that the, the prophet uses. Isaiah 59. And just notice verses 12 uh, onwards there. The Lord speaking to Israel and he's reminding them of their sin and of their iniquity. And he says in verse 12, or Isaiah says the Lord's words here, For our transgressions are multiplied, in verse 12, before thee. And our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. Then he goes on and says this, look at verse 14. He says this, Judgment is turned away backwards. Justice standeth afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot enter. And verse 15, yea, truth faileth. This is how Isaiah describes his situation. It's a wonderful picture language. Judgment's been turned away. There's like a, there's a roadblock. You can't get down there, and judgment has had to turn around. Justice stands afar off. It can't come close. Truth is fallen in the street. Truth is dead. And equity cannot enter. And, and as, we, as we see that the situation in Isaiah's day when there's no truth and no justice and, and all these things are gone, and as we see the situation in David's day, the foundations have been destroyed, it seems like there's no hope. The word destroyed here in our text, it's... It's in the future tense. And the implication is, is this. It's like these things are present now and they're going to go on forever. It's going to be an endless reality. There seems to be no hope. The dreadful condition that David describes here just will seemingly have no end. And I think as we read these words here, as we read the words in Isaiah's day, I think that we can so easily draw a parallel to our own situation today as we look out across our lands. Our own land here in 21st century Britain, don't we live in days of moral declension? Do we not see truth is fallen in the streets? Do we not hear daily of wickedness and, and violence? Wickedness in high places, we see good being called evil and evil being called good and bitter, sweet and, and sweet, bitter and so on. It wouldn't take us very long, would it, this evening to draw up a list of all the laws that have been implemented and bills that have gone through Parliament that are in direct contradiction to the very law of God. Today in our land, the Lord's Day is desecrated Homosexuality is applauded. Transgender ideology is promoted. We see abortion championed. Evolution is just pumped through our schools. We could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? Listing the, the, the ways in which the very foundations of our society have been destroyed. Does this, does this mean that as Christians we should flee and run away? That we should hide? That we should put our candle under a bushel? 
David says, certainly not. We notice that despite all that the persecution that David had to endure, all the hardships that he had to face, David was resolved to stand firm. Look at verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. You think you can remove me from my position? You tell me to flee and run away? No, I'm going to stand and stay firm. He says, how say ye to my soul, flee? You know, as Christians, we need to hold on to the principles of Scripture. We, go, we may be encouraged to flee. But David here says, don't give unbelief any ground in your hearts, friends, tonight. Stand firm. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I was reminded of something that I read very recently. Perhaps you saw it. I saw it on the, the BBC website. It was about the, the lighthouse at Orford Ness. I wonder if you've ever been there, Orford Ness in Suffolk. There was a beautiful lighthouse that used to stand on the, the edge of the shingle there, a red and white, uh, lovely lighthouse. And it was established over 200 years ago. And it's a particularly perilous part of the coast. Prior to the lighthouse, many ships were wrecked and lives were lost. It's impossible to say that over those last 228 years how many lives that lighthouse has saved. And yet, in 2013, the lighthouse was decommissioned and it's been dismantled and it's now been demolished. Why? Well, because over the years, the foundations of that lighthouse have been destroyed. It stood once over 80 metres from the sea, and now it stands right on the edge of the sea, and the, the relentless tides have taken away the shingle from underneath the concrete footing of that lighthouse, and now it has no sure and steadfast foundation. And I think there's plans, they've, they, they just very recently dismantled it, and there's plans to take parts of it and set it up nearly two miles inland as a memorial to that lighthouse. You know, friends, as I was reading that article on the, on the BBC News, I couldn't help but draw a parallel between that lighthouse and our church in our land. The relentless tides of opposition have just come in, haven't they? False doctrine has swept in and it's just removed piece by piece the very foundational aspects of the church. Now we see churches that were once great beacons of light. Beacons of light that was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls were saved. We see them that they've been decommissioned and dismantled and demolished. And isn't it so sad, isn't it, that so many of our churches today stand a bit like that lighthouse. They stand as nothing more than memorials to what God has done in the past. And friends, this evening we may be discouraged and the devil may be telling us, look, flee, abandon your post, leave everything, leave the very foundations, leave everything, everything's crumbling around you, what can you do as the righteous? He says to you, flee from preaching about sin, flee from preaching about repentance, don't speak out against abortion and, and all the other things that we see, homosexuality and so on, all the things that we were thinking about just a moment ago. And the devil comes to us and says, leave it all. Bury yourself, Christians. Hide yourself. Go on, fly away to your mountain. But David says in such times as this, what can the righteous do? Well, he says, stand firm. David remained unmoved 
He remains steadfast, unwilling to flinch, and friends, in our Christian walk, so should we. It may cost us, it may cost us in our work, it may cost us in our families, but David says, stand firm. Before we move on to our, our second point, I can't help but think here as we see the resolve of the psalmist that we see something of Jesus Christ. You know, Spurgeon said about the Psalms, he said that it was the heavenly design that the Holy Spirit has presented to us the experience of Jesus in the model of the experience through which David went through. David is a a picture to us of Jesus Christ. As we see the resolve here of David, we're reminded of the resolve of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how often Christ was put off from going to the cross? How often the devil sought to sidetrack Christ? Don't go to the cross. He used to even Peter. Remember what Jesus had to say to Peter? Get behind me. And yet Christ set his face, didn't he, as a flint to Jerusalem. He was prepared and, and he was steadfast, even, even when he was on Calvary's tree itself. You remember how the devil saw Christ on Calvary and he sought to get him down with all the mocking and the jibes that people gave. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. Come down. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Nehemiah, remember Nehemiah on the wall, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And Christ answered the devil in that way and praise God, Christ was steadfast. And may we in our duty as servants for him likewise remain steadfast. In the Lord put I my trust. That's the first thing that we notice here. What can the righteous do? David's steadfastness. We must remain steadfast. But notice with me, secondly, we see David's security. David's security. You see, David notes here that the foundations of the earth were being destroyed, that the the very pillars of society as he looked out were, were just crumbling around him. And yet, despite it all, David knew that he had a firm foundation, that he had something secure. I mean, that's why he says the word if. If the foundations be destroyed, it's a question. He says, if they're destroyed, what what can we do? And as I said, but he answers this at the very beginning of the chapter, at the very beginning of the psalm, in the Lord put I my trust. He starts off that way so that we know that he has a sure and certain foundation. He has something that he's resting in. You see, the world has, looks at this world and, and, and its foundations are being destroyed. They've got nothing to rest in, but the believer can rest in God's. He can rest in Jehovah, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the God who spoke to Moses at the very burning bush and said, I am that I am. The name that speaks of his unchanging character. David says, look, my trust, my refuge, my foundation is resting solely in Jehovah. It's as if he says to those who are are asking him to flee, look, if God be for me, who can be against me? Just as we were reading there in Romans 8. And David makes this point in verse 4, especially of this psalm. He says, look, emphatically, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. There's this very deliberate contrast between verse 3 and verse 4. You see, we go from this, this... you know, flee as a bird and, and the wicked are bending their bow and, and the foundations are being destroyed and it's seemingly all despair in verse 3 at the end of it. But then David comes in and he says, the Lord 
is in his holy temple. And you see from verse 4 through to verse 7, David, he just, he just opens up all about the character of God, the God that he is trusting in, the God who is his foundation. And you see, here is the hope and the certainty of David. And you notice that in verse 4, he speaks firstly there of, the, of God's sovereignty is in his holy temple. And there's this, as I said, there's this wonderful contrast, and we don't get it so clearly in our English versions, but in the original Hebrew, there isn't the word the at the beginning of verse 4. It's just Lord, it's just Jehovah. And so you go, what can the righteous do? Question mark, despair. Jehovah. And what a contrast that is. If the foundations be destroyed, we have Jehovah. Jehovah is in his holy temple. And what a comforting contrast that is for us as believers tonight. We go from chaos and destruction there in verse 3. We go from society crumbling all around. We go from this this despair. And then we're transported immediately in verse 4 to heaven. And it's in heaven where God sits reigning. It's in heaven where God sits unchanged, unmoved. And as I said, as we go through these verses, we see here the righteous man's solid ground, his, 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 his foundation that he has, and he points, as I said, to the Lord's character here. And you notice in verse 4, we see God's presence. He's in his holy temple or his holy palace, you could translate that. He is above the earth. He's outside of time. Outside of time and space, you go on there, he speaks of his majesty and his sovereignty. In the second part there of verse 4, the Lord's throne is in heaven. God is sovereignly overruling all things for the good of his people. We read that in Romans 8 just a moment ago. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. You see David saying here, look, there's no earthly power that's outside of God's jurisdiction. His throne is in heaven. You remember in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, he had to come to realize this, didn't he? There he was, he looked out over the walls of his great kingdom and he thought, I am the greatest, I am so powerful and so I've got so much majesty. He was filled with pride, wasn't he? And you remember what he had to come to say after the Lord had humbled him? He had to come and realize that God's dominion, he says, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth he says, are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And he says, and none can stay his hands or say unto him, what doest thou? You see, Nebuchadnezzar, the great potentate, the great ruler of his day, he had to come and he humbled himself before God and he realized the Lord's throne is in heaven. And none can say to him, what doest thou? And you notice he then goes on here in verse 4. He notice that God's knowledge and his wisdom. He says, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. All things are naked and open before God. The God in whom we live and move and have our being. And we have to say, don't we, thou God seest me. He sees all about us. He knows us. Remember, Another psalm of David, Psalm 139. Just turn uh, a few pages to that psalm. A wonderful psalm that speaks of God's wisdom and knowledge. 
He has to say there in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God knows even our thoughts. And he says, Thou thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. And David comes to that point, doesn't he, where he says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And we have this picture here of, of God, as it were, with his eyelids closed and looking and looking upon this world and not upon the inhabitants of this world. It's a wonderful picture there. It's, the picture there is of somebody who's, who, who's so focused on something that they sort of squint. You know, when you look at something close up and you, you close your eyelids a bit and you look at it to focus upon it and remove all distractions. And David says here, look, it's as if God's focus and his love upon his people is so particular. He has this particular love for his beloved children. He focuses all his love and affection upon them. His eyelids try the children of men. David goes even further in this psalm. He speaks not only of his, his majesty and sovereignty and his presence and his, and his knowledge and wisdom, but then we have his righteousness and his justice. God takes offense at sin, doesn't he? He is the righteous Lord, we read there in verse 7, who loveth righteousness. So much so there we read that his very soul hates violence and sin. His very inner being, his heart, is, is utterly opposed to wickedness. And it hates violence. This is the very nature of God. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. And, and God will surely bring judgment and he will surely execute justice on the wicked. Just as he rained fire and brimstone, we read here, on Sodom and Gomorrah. David says to the people, look, he says, here is your comfort. Here is your foundation. And believe it, this evening when we feel the, the taunts of the enemy, when we see the foundations being destroyed and, we, and we're being asked to flee as a bird, and we feel that the very foundations of this life have been utterly destroyed, it's then that we must turn to God and seek him and trust him. He is our sure and certain foundation and David asks the question here it's an interesting question what can the righteous do notice what he says it's not what can the righteous feel not what can the righteous think but what can they do and believer we have this sure foundation because of who God is and because of all that he has done for us especially through his son the Lord Jesus Christ don't we Our foundation rests upon him. We can trust him and be secure in him, our saviour, firm as a rock. The Lord Jesus Christ, he has given us this this everlasting love. We can think of his perfect life of obedience, his, his atoning death at Calvary. We can think of the fact that he was buried and yet he rose again. These are the foundational truths that we rest everything in. We rest in Christ. And we can rest in that fact that Christ shed his precious blood. That's why we can, we can think of those wonderful words. We're going to sing them in a few moments' time or reflect upon them. My hope is built on nothing less 
Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And what does the chorus say? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know the third verse of that hymn, his oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming floods when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. Henry Law, in his devotional commentary on the Psalms, said this, How blessed and how encouraging are these truths. Not one can be gainsaid, and not one can disappoint. And so therefore we may rest all our weight upon them. You know, just yesterday as a family we were at the seaside and there are some barnacles attached to a rock. And you know what it's like when you try and pull one of those off? You can't, can you? You get a limpet and you try and pull it off. How difficult it is. They cling to the rock. And believers, we should cling to our rock, Jesus Christ. We have an advocate, don't we? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember the words of Hebrews that we have an anchor for the soul that's sure and steadfast not only can we trust in him but we can pray to him and seek his face this is something that the righteous can do we can pray do we pray for our society as we see it crumbling around us do we pray for people in this pandemic we can come before this God whose throne is in heaven and we can come to his throne of heavenly grace remember what The writer to the Hebrews says there, we may come to that throne of heavenly grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you see, whatever may happen to the foundations of this world, whatever God and his providence may take away from us, God must remain always our refuge and strength. Remember what the psalmist says, Psalm 46. Therefore, he says, will not we fear... Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed. You see, the foundations, if they're removed, it doesn't matter. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's why, you see, we can, we can be at this confidence, can't we, believer, tonight, that even if hell should give us its worst, we know that we are safe. And secure in Christ. There's another hymn, isn't there, that has this that wonderful line. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. And David says here, look, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do where we can trust in God? We have this sure and certain foundation. Of course, one day as God's people, we will go to that heavenly city, that that city that have foundations, whose builder and maker is God's. And as I close this evening, I just want to switch this verse around. And I just want to challenge anyone here as I close this evening who's not a believer. And I want to read this verse to you again, but I'm just going to change something. And I want you to listen very carefully as I, 
as I change something. The verse says this, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the unrighteous do? What can the unrighteous do? Unbeliever this evening, do you realize that you have no foundation? Your life is built on sand and one day you'll be weighed in the balance and found wanting. David warns us that God is a righteous God in this psalm. He's a God who hates sin. He's a God who is against the wicked and that the wicked will be judged for all eternity. Let me encourage you, friends, this evening, I implore you, just read this psalm carefully. Read verse 6 particularly very carefully. Think about it, reflect upon it, that one day there is judgment coming for all those who are outside of Jesus Christ who have no foundation. Yet the wonderful thing is you can have a sure and certain foundation if you come and trust in Jesus Christ. There's another psalm, Psalm 40, the experience of the psalmist, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. You see, that's what you need to do, friends, tonight. You need to cry out to him. And notice what the psalmist says, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of your sin. And what did he do? He set my feet upon a rock. You can have a foundation. A sure and certain foundation in Jesus Christ. And you can turn to him, repent of your sin and trust in him. May God help us in all of these things. May he write his word upon our hearts. May we be those who are trusting steadfast and trusting in our secure and certain foundation.